Amen. Thank you all for being here. You may be seated. Good morning, church family. For those of you who are worshiping with us for the first time, we're so glad you've joined us. My name's Andrew Wild. I'm one of the pastors here. And for those of you who are part of our church family, let me alleviate any concerns you might have in this moment as you see the worship team uh, departing. You're probably wondering right about now if you are about to be the recipient of a very long sermon. <laughs> you know that it's not our normal custom to begin the message 10 minutes in. And uh, let me go ahead and alleviate that concern. You can all breathe a sigh of relief. I have uh, no aspirations of giving you two for the price of one today. But for reasons I'll, I'll explain here in a moment, we did want to allow more time than normal at the end of the service to worship God through singing. Uh, but first, let me just call our attention to, to two things that are happening in the life of our community. The first is a lunch and learn immediately following the second service with George and Phyllis Crispy. They're two wonderful missionaries that we're able to come alongside as a church through your giving. Uh, this couple is just an inspiration to me, and I think it would be to you as well if you haven't got to know them yet, of what God can do through us when we make ourselves available to him. They're serving the people of Malawi in some very practical ways. Uh, they're helping with education. They're helping with infrastructure improvements, uh, bridges, digging wells, helping people even learn how to farm. And most importantly, they're sharing the good news of Jesus Christ. And they'll be with us in that room right over there. We call it our community room. Uh, following the second service, uh, you're welcome to join us. Lunch has already been ordered, so maybe if you didn't register ahead of time, just run home, grab a sandwich, and then come back. You'll be encouraged by them as they share how God's at work in their region of the world. And secondly, if you haven't registered for our annual church camp, you're going to want to do that soon. We're headed to Ridge Haven Conference Center in beautiful Brevard, North Carolina, from Friday evening, August 11th, through Sunday morning, August 13th. Uh, accommodations are filling up fast. We already have 145 registered. There are spaces for more. And there is the possibility that we can reach out to Ridge Haven in the event we even need more accommodations, and they'll release those for us. But the chances of that happening diminish if everyone waits until the last minute to sign up. And I know no one here would do that, but I just thought I'd, thought I'd mention that. Uh, our very own Chris Burnett, who's sometimes up here, um, will be leading us in worship. Uh, you'll be blessed by our guest speaker, and I promise if you have kids, they will have a blast. Uh, we've designed the weekend in such a way that this is going to be a great opportunity to really connect and fellowship with others in our church family, and we'll leave home strengthened and encouraged in our walk with the Lord. So now, why the uh, really early start to the message? Well, this morning, I would like to think with you about singing. And then afterwards, we'll have more time to put into practice what we see commended in God's Word. You know, throughout the Bible, from the very beginning to the end, we see singing. Job 38 tells us that when God laid the earth's foundation, the morning stars sang together and all the sons of God shouted for joy. And if we fast forward in the other direction... Going as far as we can into the future as God gives us insight, we once again see singing. When the Lamb of God in Revelation 5 opens that scroll, we're told that they sang a new song, saying, Worthy are you to take the scroll and to open its seals, for you were slain, and by your blood you ransomed people 
for God from every tribe and language and people and nation. And when we go ahead to Revelation 14 and 15, we once again see that the redeemed of the Lord are singing. And in between creation and the new heavens and the new earth, we see God's people singing. When God parts the waters of the Red Sea, enabling his people to to cross through it on dry land, delivering them from the Egyptians, you know what we find in the very next chapter? The lyrics to a song that Moses and the people sang. When King David arranged for the Ark of the Covenant to be brought into Jerusalem, he commanded the chiefs of the Levites to appoint their brothers as singers who should play loudly on musical instruments. And we know that when the temple was built, that these Levites continued their their ministry of worship through music in the temple. After God's people returned from exile and the foundation was laid for the, the reconstruction of the temple, we once again see singing. Ezra 11.3 tells us, and they helped me out here. What does it say? They sang responsibly, praising and giving thanks to the Lord, for he is good. And I won't continue the rest of the song there. But after Jesus celebrates his final Passover meal with his disciples and he institutes the Lord's Supper, anybody recall what happens next? We're told they sang a hymn. Yep, I heard it over here. When Paul gives instructions for orderly corporate worship in 1 Corinthians 14, he mentions singing. And we don't have time to survey all of church history, but we know from extra-biblical sources that the early church was a singing church. Scholars tell us that Philippians chapter 2, verses 5 through 11 also served as a hymn. It was known as the hymn of Christ. In an early 2nd century letter to the emperor Trajan, the Roman governor, Pliny the Younger, he investigated Christianity and he reported this. He said they were accustomed to meet on a fixed day before dawn and sing responsively a hymn to Christ as to a God. That's very early second century. Let me just say, aren't aren't we glad it's no longer our custom to meet before dawn? I mean, I I can't imagine trying to recruit like children's ministry volunteers for that service. We probably wouldn't need many for the parking lot either, but it might balance out there. Here's the thing. Singing is not only modeled for us throughout Scripture, it's also commanded. There are over 50 direct commands to sing to God. Here's what I'd say. God gives very clear guidance regarding what he desires us to do with this capacity that he has given us to sing. We have Psalms like 47 that exclaim, Sing praises to God, sing praises. Sing praises to our king, sing praises. For God is the king of all the earth. Sing praises with a psalm. Five times, two verses. The imperative, sing. Sing to God. You know, we can worship God in a lot of ways. The Bible teaches that we can worship through our giving. Uh, We can worship through our service. Uh, We can worship him even through the way that we work. But the Bible is clear. We should sing too. And I'd like to share with you four reasons why Christians should love to worship God through singing. So if you've got a bulletin with you on the way in, you can flip that over. Um, there's some notes to, to help follow along. Number one, singing cements truth in our hearts and minds. It cements biblical truth in our hearts and minds. We remember what we sing. How many of you, if I gave you a stack of vocabulary words and I asked you to alphabetize them, 
maybe at some point would start singing the ABCs to yourself. Probably most of us, right? And we want to quickly remember what comes after Q or before K. I mean, we fall back on that little ditty that we learned as children. And God understands the power of music. In the book of Deuteronomy, chapter 31, right after God tells Moses that he's about to depart to be with his fathers, which is a, a, it's a Hebraic expression for he's about to die, God says, now therefore, write this song and teach it to the people of Israel. Put it in their mouths that this song may be a witness for me against the people of Israel. And God goes on to say, he says, I know that they're going to be a disobedient and they're going to break the terms of the covenant. And he says, and when many evils and troubles have come upon them, this song shall confront them as a witness, for it will live unforgotten in the mouths of their offspring. A good song is difficult to forget. Anybody ever had a song stuck in their head? Y'all know how that works? And this is probably why we find this instruction in the New Testament. This is Colossians 3. Maybe we don't have that one up there. It says this, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thanksgiving in your hearts to God. Singing the right music, what it does is it causes the word of Christ to dwell in us. And in reflecting on my own childhood, I'm glad that my parents understood this. Sometimes when we sit down for dinner, we would actually sing a blessing together. And then during the meal, my dad would usually have some edifying music playing in the background. If the record label Maranatha Music means anything to some of y'all, over here somewhere, all right. You, you know the kind of music that was piped into the dining room while we had dinner. I'm talking about songs like Father, I Adore You or Open Our Eyes or Seek Ye First. Y'all, I can quote from memory Matthew 6.33, but I don't know if I can do it without hearing the tune to Seek Ye First in my head. The first Bible verse I, I ever memorized, I'm pretty sure I did it unintentionally. My parents just had us listening to Salty the Singing Song. Wait, anybody familiar with Salty? Okay, there's a couple fans. All right. So, yes, um, that's exciting because uh, I, I, I think Salty was pure gold. Um, if you're unfamiliar, it was essentially like a, um, a children's musical on cassette tape. And uh, the lyrics to his songs were, were inspired by biblical truths, or it was just scripture set to music. And upon reflection, uh, I think the, the first verse I ever memorized was 1 John, 4, 7 or 8, 1 John 4, 7 and 8, because Salty had a song to those verses. It went like this, Beloved, let us love one another, for love is of God. Uh, uh, catchy tune, especially when Salty sang it. But I share that with you just to kind of underscore here the, the, the power of music. On a typical Sunday evening, what happens in my house before bed is maybe my wife and I will look at the calendar for the following week. And it's pretty busy right now with kids in a lot of different sports. And she'll tell me, like, you know, Maddie has a track meet on Tuesday. And Audrey's got soccer games on Wednesday and Thursday. And we've got practice these nights of the week. And, oh, it would be helpful if you could pick up Ian on this day. And, you know, it's probably about... I don't know, Monday, midday, and I'll call her up and I'll say, I just wanted to check. Am I supposed to be anywhere special this evening? <laughs> Some of y'all know what I'm talking about, right? You've, you've made that phone call. Uh, but a few years back, my parents gave us some Salty CDs so we could share them with our kids. And I hadn't listened to Salty in like 20 years. And I hit the play button, 
and I could remember every word to every song. This isn't exactly encouraging to those of us who are pastors, but we remember far more what we sing than we do what's spoken to us, right? Than what we hear when someone preaches at us. Parents of young children, I just want you to know I'm still a big fan of Salty. My kids enjoyed them too, but Natalie Jungles, our discipleship resident, tells me that Slugs and Bugs, Volume 3, would be an equally solid investment in the spiritual formation of your children. I don't know where the name Slugs and Bugs comes from, but um, Salty's, you know, that's a strong one. Here's what singing does. It nurtures our faith. Because the songs that we sing, they get repeated in our hearts and minds, and the lyrics find their way into our thoughts. And this means that songs can comfort us, they can encourage us, they can guide us, they can strengthen us, they can embolden us, they can give us words to pray. In short, what music does is it, is it shapes us. And if you sing the right songs... You can't help but draw upon great biblical truths that are found in those lyrics. And when things seem to be unraveling, you might be prompted to remind yourself, when Christ alone my hope is found, he is my light, my strength, my song. Or maybe you'll comfort yourself with, the Lord has promised good to me. His word my faith secures. Or maybe if you're going through a, a trial or a temptation, you'll be tempted to cry out, oh God, I need thee. Every hour I need thee. Oh, bless me now, my Savior. I come to thee. Or maybe if you're, you're struggling with loneliness, the words to good, good Father come to mind and you'll be reminded that you're loved by God and you're never alone. In their devotional on the Psalms, Tim and Kathy Keller describe this book of the Bible that has 150 songs they describe it as a medicine chest for the heart. I love that metaphor. It's a medicine chest for the heart. And what I add to that is that when we sing to God, I think it's the equivalent of stocking our medicine chest. Singing out loud, it aids in, in learning the lyrics. And so that means we've got good stuff in our chest that we can go and draw upon when we need it. That's number one. Number two, singing connects our emotions and our intellect, allowing us to worship with our hearts and minds. Said differently, singing combines doctrine and devotion. I feel like uh, music and emotion are a bit like the chicken and the egg. Which one comes first? Well, you know, it could go either way. Emotion can give rise to music. James 5.13 says, is anyone cheerful? Well, let him sing praise to God. God's love for us can inspire songs of joy from our lips, but it can also work the other way too. Sometimes music can stir up our emotions. Singing can help us enter into the joy of the Lord. When Paul and Silas were in Philippi and they were beaten with rods and then thrown in prison, we find them singing. Some of you might remember the name Andrew Brunson. Andrew's a pastor in our denomination. He was a missionary in Turkey where he had served for over 20 years, and he was wrongfully in prison. He was there for over two years, 2016 to 2018. Uh, he finally got released. Uh, some of us heard him speak at our general assembly in 2019, and he said during that time when, when he despaired, when he felt abandoned, when he was discouraged, do you know what he did to strengthen himself? 
He said he sang. He just kept singing. In fact, he even wrote a hymn during that time, and you can find it on YouTube. It's called Worthy of My All. That's what he did to sustain himself. Singing can awaken our passion. It can stir our emotions, causing us not just to worship intellectually, but also from the very core of our being. I was talking about the message with Brett um, earlier in the week, and Brett said, you know, it kind of reminds me of the, the Hallelujah, Hallelujah Chorus from Handel's Messiah. You're familiar with this. You know it's custom to, stink, to stand um, when, when the Hallelujah Chorus comes. And anybody know why that is? It's because the very first time uh, that it was performed and King George II heard it, he was so roused that he stood to his feet and everyone else just followed suit. You think King George would have stood to his feet if he just heard those same words read from the stage? No way, right? What, what stirred something in him that prompted him to rise was just the powerful impact of the words connected with the music. And there's a difference between me standing up here and saying, well, you know, Romans 8.1 teaches that there's now no condemnation for those of us who are in Christ Jesus. And Ephesians 2 reminds us that when we place our faith in Jesus, we're made alive in Christ. And we know that if we're in Christ, we're clothed in his righteousness and that we can boldly approach the throne of grace. That's what Hebrews 4 teaches us. There's a difference between me saying that and then singing more or less those same truths in a beautiful hymn that Charles Wesley gave us. Let's listen. No. Well, yeah, we can clap for that. I, I just hope it gives us the sense that singing truth with other believers can have a different impact on us. And, and to the person who would say, well, my walk with the Lord seems dry right now, I'd say, let's, let's talk about worshiping God through singing. Uh, singing isn't some magic potion that's guaranteed to give you a spiritual high. But I found that, that singing to the Lord can lead to joy in the Lord. 
when we glorify God through song, I feel like we somehow place ourselves under the spigot of his grace and he begins to satisfy us with all that he is. Some of the times in my own life when I felt the most content and satisfied in God have come on the heels of singing to him. I'll just uh, share with you one example. Uh, we lived about 10 minutes from the Texas State Fair and saw Third Day was performing and it's like, well, I'll, I'll go to that. Third Day is a Christian music group for those of you that aren't familiar. And uh, I got there and I thought I was going to a concert, but it turned out to be a worship service because I ended up singing with Third Day and a bunch of other people. And I drove home that night just feeling like I had, was enveloped in the love of God. If your faith seems dry right now, Here's what I'd say. Maybe try doubling down on singing. Maybe like our high school football players come August, get in some two-a-days. I'm sure Brian and Corey would let you stand in the back of the gym on Sunday evenings and you could sing with our youth. And it's life-giving to be in the gym with them because they're singers. As human beings, we're so much more than highly developed brains that happen to inhabit a body that can walk upright and has opposable thrums. We're also emotional beings. This is part of what it means to be created in the image of God. And singing is about so much more than the audible sound that's created when air passes over our vocal cords. And so to the person who'd say, oh, I'm, I'm, I'm singing, I'm just singing on the inside. I'd say, well, you know, you, you certainly might have to do that if your lungs grow weak or there's damage to your vocal cord or you're just physically unable to sing. I know that's happened to some in our congregation. But if you have the capacity to sing, I would say do it. When we worship God through song, it helps us worship him with all that we are. I don't need a, a show of hands here, but has anyone ever gotten distracted at church? Has anyone, you know, maybe started making a grocery shopping list or thinking about projects they need to do around the house or, you know, what all needs to happen before Monday. I don't know how I know that happens. But, but here's what I do know. What happens when we sing is that, is that it helps us focus because every facet of our being gets engaged and thereby helping us live out Jesus' command to love the Lord our God with our, our heart, soul, and mind. Singing allows these truths about God that reside in, in our mind to be expressed by our body, which in turn are connected to the affections of the heart. How about reason number three? Singing allows us to express our gratitude to God. It allows us to express our gratitude to God. If someone gave you an amazing present, you'd probably write them a thank you note, would you not? We've all written thank you notes. Well, when it comes to great gifts, it doesn't get much better than God sending his son Jesus and Jesus giving his life in our place. Jesus taking the punishment that we deserved by going to the cross and then him giving us his perfect righteousness. And you know, God doesn't really provide an address in the Bible where we can send a thank you card, does he? You don't find that in there. But he did tell us that he's pleased when we praise him for all that he's done for us. Psalm 33, verses 2 and 3. Give thanks to the Lord. Well, how do we do that? He tells us, with the lyre, make melody to him with the harp of ten strings. Sing to him a new song. Play skillfully on the strings with loud shouts. 
Similarly, Psalm 100 gives this counsel. Know that the Lord, he is God. It is he who made us, and we are his. We are his people and the sheep of his pasture. And so what do we do in response to this revelation? It tells us we're to enter his gates with thanksgiving and his courts with praise. Give thanks to him. Bless his name. Singing is one of the primary ways we recognize God for who he is and what he's done for us. Through our singing, we can thank him for his faithfulness, for his love, for his mercy, for being our shepherd, for our savior, our redeemer, our our deliverer, our healer, our comforter, our refuge, our hope, our strength. You, You can think of singing as your thank you note to God. And this is why it doesn't really matter if you have perfect pitch or you're tone deaf. Here's why I say this, because if you receive a thank you note from someone, is it not the sincerity of the note that matters most than whether or not the author has some like perfect command of the English language? We can think about it this way. Grandparents, those of you who are grandparents, if your precious granddaughter, let's just say she's five, decides that she wants to color a picture for her Grammy or granddad, and she sits down at the kitchen table and she just colors her heart out for 30 minutes. When she gives you that picture, do you pick it up and do you start evaluating it like an art critic? Do you say, hey, sweetheart, you know, what would have made this picture a little bit more meaningful to me is if you had paid more attention to the shading and uh, done a better job with the sense of dimension. Then this would be a picture I'd really appreciate. Is that something you'd ever do as a grandparent? No way, right? It wouldn't matter if the coloring was way outside the lines. You're still putting that thing up on the fridge, aren't you? Because it's the intent of the artist that matters. It's the heart behind it. And it's the same with God and our singing. Will you indulge me here for a moment? I am am not wanting to to chastise anyone. I'm, I'm, not, I'm not wanting to shame anyone. Maybe I'm just, I'm, I'm wanting to challenge a little bit to, to maybe invite some thoughtful self-reflection. Here's, here's the question. I just say, what, what might we communicate to God and to those around us if during our time of corporate worship, we just kind of stand there mute with our arms folded or our hands in our pocket, or uh, we just maybe mumble along with the words. Now hear me out. I know that there's times when we just need to let the lyrics wash over us and minister to us. I know there, there are occasions when we might not be familiar with a particular song, and that can make it harder to sing along. And I know some of you would say, well, hey, I'm, I'm just not a really emotional person. Okay, I'll buy that, but let me ask this as a follow-up question. Do you ever sing? Do you ever show emotion? What happens when you're at a wedding and there's a DJ? Or you're at a restaurant and there's some live music and that band's playing the song that you you love? You ever start singing to Proud Mary or Don't Stop Believing or Sweet Caroline? What happens when your team wins the big game? Or your kid makes a a great save or a score. Is it possible that you're expressive in other areas of your life? And if you are, 
Isn't what God has done for us in Jesus every bit as wonderful as the outcome of a game? So why not praise him from the core of your being? Now listen, I'm not, I'm not trying to say that all of us need to carry tambourines with us in here to church. We can recognize that different cultures and different personalities have different ways of expressing emotion. Am I right? Those of you who have traveled abroad, there are vibrant, God-glorifying, Christ-honoring, spirit-filled worship services where George and Phyllis Crispy serve in Malawi that probably don't look a lot like equally vibrant services that happen in places like Korea or Ireland or here in the U.S., what we see in the New Testament is that there is a stunning degree of freedom when it comes to musical worship. You won't find anything in there where uh, God kind of reveals that he has some sort of preferred instrumentation or a musical style. When it comes to corporate worship, I think what's most important is the heart of the worshiper and the faithfulness or the truthfulness of the content of the lyrics that we're singing. And different cultures and different personalities have different ways of expressing their sincerity. But I think what we should find in common across all cultures, across all personalities, is some element of passion or sincerity. Some reflection of the fact that our heart is in this. That the words aren't just originating from our lips, but something from the depth of our being. And, and I understand that engaging with passion can be challenging if we don't know the words to a song. I think we all recognize that familiarity helps. So I'll mention that for about the past year and a half, Joseph has been putting the songs that we'll sing on Sunday mornings on our website. And if you just want to help prepare yourself to enter into our times of corporate worship, you can go to our website. Normally, if you go by Thursday and you scroll down, you'll find all the upcoming songs for Sunday as well as the songs that we've sung recently. And maybe this would just be a tool that will help you become more familiar with the songs so that you can more easily engage in this time of worship and, and give praise to God. So let's say that's number three. And then finally, a fourth reason. And oh, by the way, I'll just mention here that my original list was like eight. Um, so this isn't intended to be like exhaustive, like on your own or in your small groups. You can come up with more reasons. There are more than four reasons. Uh, but these are just the four I wanted to share with you. I would say finally, it's the most appropriate response to God's greatness. As I was preparing for the message, I asked Pastor Wes if he had any books he could recommend as a resource, and he shared with me, where is it? Here we go. This is a book by Keith and Kristen Getty called Sing. The subtitle is How Worship Transforms Your Life, Family, and Church. I understand the worship team read it together a few years back. It's a great book. I'd commend it to you. It's a quick read. And I want to share this one quote with you that just kind of sums up what I'm trying to communicate in this last point better than I could wordsmith it. Listen to these words. What ought to make worship delightful to us is not in the first instance its novelty or its aesthetic beauty, but its object. God himself is delightfully wonderful. So I get that we might find some particular styles of music more engaging than others, but what we need to remember is that when we worship God, our primary motivation shouldn't be driven by our musical taste. Our motivation should be to honor God. God should be the subject of our praise and singing because of who he is. And who is God? Well, God is before all things. He did not come into being. He cannot go out of being. He always was and he always will be. He is dependent on nothing. 
As Paul exclaims in Romans 11, for who has known the mind of the Lord or who has been his counselor? Maybe you've had the experience of standing on the beach and just looking out on the vastness of the ocean and seeing that. You know what God tells us about himself in Isaiah 40? He says that he, the waters, he holds them in the hollow of his hands. He says by the breadth of his hand, the distance from here to here, that he marked out the span of the heavens. He says that all the nations to him are like a drop in the bucket. He said you can take the military might of the United States and China and Russia, all the world powers, and you can put it on one side of the scales and you can put God on the other. And God says the military might of all the nations, it's like dust in the scales compared to him. It's nothing. And on top of that, He's the absolute standard of truth and goodness and beauty and love. God is supremely great. And in, and in the face of this reality, I think a fitting and proper response is to birth forth in the song sometimes. Just like Julie Andrews in The Sound of Music when she encounters the mountains, she can't help but sing. You know, we could express... God's greatness by saying, oh, how great thou art. But I think an even more appropriate response to the scope of his grandeur, an even better way of recognizing his worth and acknowledging his value might just be to warm up the vocal cords, to tune the guitars, to break out the cymbals, to plug in the amps and just to, to sing it from the very core of our being, to belt it out with all that we are. How great thou art. Let me pray for us. God, we've seen your word. And I pray that you would help us to be a singing people. Not people who would come here and mouth along with the words, but people who will worship you with all that we are because you have certainly earned it. You are worth it. You deserve it. Lord, as we reflect on your grace and your love and your mercies that are new every morning, May we delight in responding in gratitude for all that you've done for us. You are worthy of the praise of our lips. And Lord, we pray now that, that our response, that our corporate singing would be pleasing to you because we're certainly grateful of all that you've done for us. We give you thanks in Jesus' name. Amen.